This talk is offered by Ordinary Mind Zendo. Ordinary Mind was founded by Barry Magid, Dharma heir of Charlotte Joko Beck, and is dedicated to her vision of a psychologically minded Zen practice adapted to the needs of American students practicing in the context of their everyday lives. Our public programs are made possible by donations from people like you. I'd like to start this morning with a dialogue. Uh, from case 82 of the Blue Cliff record. A monk asked Dairyu, the body of form is destroyed. What is the enduring Dharma body? Dairyu said, the autumn foliage is like brocade, the waters of the valley well up like indigo. Now, when we first come upon a dialogue like this, may not be very obvious how Dariu's response is an answer to the monk's question. But I want to start with the question itself. The body of form is destroyed. What is the enduring Dharma body? The Dharma body, the Dharmakaya, is the body of emptiness. And this monk probably has recited every day the Heart Sutra that tells him. Form is exactly emptiness. Emptiness exactly form. It's probably said it 10,000 times. Yet here he is asking, what happens when the body is destroyed, when the form is destroyed? What endures? See, I would say that the, the monk is not making a mistake here, but is uh, really demonstrating a delusion. And the basic difference is that a mistake can be corrected with new information. But a delusion is something else. It's a whole perspective or set of organizing principles or a worldview that we're emotionally invested in. It's a whole picture of who and what we are. It's not predictable by just somebody giving you a new fact. The monk knew perfectly well, form is emptiness, emptiness is form. You can't have one without the other. But the monk has got himself psychologically invested in the idea that emptiness is somehow a thing that can persist in its own realm after form 
dissolves after death. And we see this over and over again in lots of uh, different ways and lots of different cultures. There's an enormous investment in the idea of something that is separate from the body and can persist after death. Whether it's the Atman in Indian philosophy or the soul in Western Christian philosophy, we're obviously very invested in the idea that there's a way to go beyond mortality. And this isn't simply a mistake. I would say it's a delusion. It's a whole worldview that organizes our life and our thinking and is not correctable in any ordinary kind of way. I think we talked about uh, Kant the other day and how he was invested in the notion of justice in the world. He didn't, he couldn't think of a world in which justice is simply a human creation, something we strive for, sometimes achieve, mostly fail. because he grew up in a world that was infused with Christianity, that even as he was part of a generation that was going beyond religious faith, he had this deep conviction that justice had to be built into the very structure of the world. that cruelty and injustice could not go unpunished. Therefore, he was convinced that this was proof of an afterlife, proof that there was something like a soul that must, must exist after death in order that there could be justice in the world. It's as if that idea is so fundamental to him that he'll follow it wherever it takes, even if that leads him into what seems like wild speculation about an afterlife, even though he would say he's not uh, Orthodox Christian anymore. So this is what I think of what we have to watch out for uh, when we talk about uh, the nature of delusion. It's not simply a mistake. It's not that people are stupid and uh, haven't heard the truth someplace. It's baked into their worldview, so that we might say that another word for delusion is common sense. It's what we take for granted about what must be the case. Now, if we bring this back to uh, Jay Garfield's book, Losing Ourselves, 
sort of the equivalent to the monk's question. Oh, I probably should say a little bit about Dairu's uh, answer to the question. Uh, for those who are wondering to what ex what way is it an answer? He says the autumn foliage is like brocade, the water of the valley well, well up like indigo. What he's doing is he's responding to a question about emptiness, about the Dharmakaya, some great abstraction that's supposed to exist beyond and behind and eternally beyond form with, with this little uh, description of the particulars of the world, of foliage and streams, the colors and the shapes and their movement. See, all these are all the things that are part of the world of form and the monk is asking, what's beyond that? It's nothing beyond that. There's just all these particulars. So instead of being, the monk wants to hear something transcendent. He's getting in response something completely specific, very mundane, very ordinary, and completely transitory. Not at all anything he wants to hear of as an answer. I was going to say, sort of an equivalent dialogue in the context of the Garfield book might be someone who asks, we all know what the self is, but what is no self? And here again, what is happening is that we think we know what self is. And in a sense, we obviously do. We use the word all the time. And if somebody refers to the self, you don't go running to the dictionary to try to figure out what are they talking about. You think you know perfectly well what the self is. And when you hear the expression no self in a Buddhist context, you think that something is being described that is the complete opposite of the self that we usually talk about. That it must be something very esoteric, something transcendent, or just a denial that there's a, a self at all, that it's non-existent. And you sort of wonder, how can that make any sense if the self is something that seems so obvious and immediate and self-evident to us? What does it mean to say no self? And we, get, we set up these two words as if they described two radically different things, a self and a no-self. And yet, as in this dialogue, they're exactly the same. 
Form is exactly emptiness. Emptiness is exactly form. When we use the language of no self, we're not positing a different entity as opposed to the self. What we're really doing is simply adding to the definition of self. We're clarifying something about the use of the word self. And what we're doing is saying, well, when we talk about the self, don't think we're talking about something immaterial or transcendent or immortal. Don't use it as a synonym for something like Atman or soul. No self simply means that this thing that we've defined is really not a thing at all, but something in constant change and flux and dependent on all its relations for, uh, for its existence, for its nature. It's not something that exists by itself, but rather you it asserts you can't be yourself by yourself. Who and what you are is always relationally constituted, contextually constituted. And therefore, it's a constant change, and there's nothing separate or immortal or essential about it. But no self is just this way of thinking, a, a further description of the word self. Now, in the section we're going to be discussing today, Garfield says one of the ways to clear a lot of the confusion up about the word self, because we use it in a great variety of ways, and part of the problem is we're very inconsistent about it, and we get confused, as Wittgenstein would say, by the grammar of the word self. All the different contexts in which we use it don't really add up to one single thing. And we get muddled. And Garfield has what seems like a, a rather simple and you know, in a spiritual context, rather deflationary alternative, one that was also uh, suggested in uh, his own way by Wittgenstein. That so, so much of the talk of selves can be replaced with talk of persons, and that this will add a great deal of clarity to what we're trying to say. When we talk about a person, people, we immediately bring the body back into the picture. We don't have a sense of the self as something inside the body or something that's going to live uh, after the death of the body. When you talk about the person, it's clear that the person is mortal. It's clear that the person is subject to cause and effect. Person 
is defined by their place and relations in the world, who they are. And all of a sudden we get grounded in a way that is both very clear and uh, for a lot of people very disappointing. Because uh, what it does is eliminate uh, a lot of the options that overtly or covertly the idea of a self or soul was meant uh, to provide for us. And we have to start thinking of how much are we committed to these uh, uh, extra dimensions that we call spirituality or that we think of in terms of an afterlife or that we think of in terms of other dimensions of, of oneness. What happens if the self collapses into the person? If the language of self just becomes another feature of the way we talk about persons, rather than part of a way of talking about some separable inner aspect of, 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 the, of the person, an inner I, consciousness, true self, things like that. Now, Garfield makes an analogy that I think uh, is worth uh, critiquing in this chapter, uh, where he talks about Uh, where he makes an analogy with an, an actor and a role. And he talks about uh, Benedict Cumberbatch playing Hamlet and the difference between the actor and the role. And he says the person, which uh, is related to the word persona or mask or role, is what we are in our uh, relational world. When you ask who we are, you ask who am I, I tell you all the roles I play. I'm a teacher, I'm a father, right? I'm a citizen, I'm a resident. If I'm going to talk about who I am, I locate myself in a contextual and relational space and talk about how I function there, what I do, who I do it with or to, right? All these things uh, are equivalent to, to Hamlet's script. The problem with the analogy that I think he doesn't uh, fully uh, confront is that... Uh, we are all roles without actors, without separate actors, uh, in the sense that Cumberbatch 
continues to go on in uh, his life, even if he never plays Hamlet. Uh, if he never plays, gets on stage again or makes another movie, he ceased to be an actor. Uh, but he wouldn't cease to be uh, Benedict Cumberbatch. And there's a way in which that uh, too easily makes it seem like there's an uh, he's the equivalent of the inner me that engages in all these roles. That really I'm Barry, and sometimes I act as a teacher, and sometimes I act as a father, and sometimes I act as a friend. But there's a sep there's a me separate from all these roles. The way Cumberbatch has an existence off stage. But if we would really want to take uh, this analogy uh, all the way, uh, we have to see ourselves as never getting off stage, right? There's no, we, we never leave the stage and go home and just be ourselves apart from the role we're playing. It's roles all the way down, right? That, that who I am is, inseparable from and constituted by all the, the sum of all these shifting roles. And it's not as if there's a self behind all those roles that's learning the lines. And that's, a, that's the harder uh, step sometimes, because even in, in, in Garfield here, uh, it's very easy to create analogies that uh, postulate a figure behind the scenes who's pulling all the levers or learning all the lines and somehow exists separate from the roles. And that's sort of our challenge. Uh, and I think that to the extent that I'm explaining these differences to you, I'm suggesting that uh, the difference might involve a mistake, that we can be mistaken about our use of language and get confused when we start talking about self and persons and roles, and that I can explain a difference to you and then you'd stop doing it. But of course, the, the problem is that a lot of what happens here is not a mistake, it's a delusion. It's something that we're emotionally invested in as part of our whole worldview, of our whole sense of what we are and what people are and what it means to relate. So that's what we have to start to un un unentangle. Uh, we have to sort out uh, what is it that we take to be common sense that's, that's really our most fundamental delusions playing themselves out in, the, in our language and in our, our, our daily life? So maybe that's something we'll explore in our uh, discussion group in a little bit.